I don't really want to sound like the Grinch who stole Christmas, <clears throat> nor the Grinch who stole Christmas pageants. And my mind has changed on this, but my theory is that in theater, the history of theater, from the ancient Greeks to the present, no one has done drama as poorly as Christians. <laughs> I'm sorry, you've, you've heard those skits, poorly written lines and so forth. Maybe not in this grand Gothic place, but in so many congregations where I've been, they have those skits for vacation Bible school. So like late spring, someone gets up. So, Jeremy, what are you doing this summer, the first week of July, Monday through Friday, 9 to 1? <laughs> I don't know, Heather. I was hoping to do something life-changing about maybe Noah's Ark. It's not very moving, it's not very authentic. It's just, well, we just don't do drama very well. And putting kids in bathrobes with little presents to bring to Jesus has not improved it. I went to the first one of our granddaughter this week. Three and a half, they were doing the Christmas story. And while I beamed like every other parent and grandparent there, it was not Oscar worthy. <laughs> and there's no indication that they will get any better at it. The church does not do drama very well, but my mind has changed. In part because that's how the Christian story has come down to us through the generations. Not at first. At first, when the women went to the tomb and discovered it was empty and they were told to go and tell, at first it was more like breaking news or Instagram or a tweet. It was instant. But after that, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, as well as his life, as well as his birth, it came down to us in dramas that were acted out and eventually written down, and we call those four dramas Gospels. And of the four Gospels, the four dramas that we have, only Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story. They're the only ones to put on the Christmas pageant. And I'm pretty sure that if you had to pick, Luke is your favorite. Maybe. I mean, do you like that part about Mary and Joseph journeying to Bethlehem where the baby will be born? That's in Luke. In Matthew, they're already there. Or how about little infant Jesus in a manger? That's in Luke. In Matthew, he's already a toddler, and they're in the house by the time the Magi arrive. The shepherds, the angels, that's Luke too you got to kind of feel sorry for Matthew in a way. I mean, if they had put on movie versions of Matthew and Luke and the family was going Christmas night, movie tradition, and everybody's in the minivan, nobody's vying for Matthew. Let's come on, let's go see Matthew. Everybody wants Luke's version. And maybe for a good reason. You heard Matthew's, at least part of it. It starts when magi from the east come and they inquire of the king where the king has been born. That is not a good move. You don't inquire of the king, well, where's the new king that's been born? And Herod, when he figures it all out, he calls in the troops. We didn't read the verses, but he calls in the troops. And soldiers come and they slaughter the baby boys in Bethlehem. Who does that in a Christmas pageant? I mean, it's like putting G.I. Joe next to your nativity set. It's just so, what is, what is Matthew's pageant rated anyway? Didn't he know we were going to put kids in robes and have them play these parts? What was he thinking? 
In both Matthew and Luke's versions, the angels have speaking parts. And I kind of picture it as God as the director of the play. Okay, angels, angels, let me have your attention. You can straighten your halos and wings later. I need your attention. Don't forget, the first words you say are, be not afraid. Do you have it? And they, they repeat it back. Because it's true. In Luke's version, the angels say it to Mary. And in Matthew's version, the angels say it to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. But let's be honest. If anyone, angel or otherwise, ever says to you, now, don't be afraid, the next words out of their mouth are bound to scare the wits out of you. That's why they said don't be afraid in the first place, because you have every reason to be afraid. Don't you remember when you were a little kid scaling the high dive at the public swimming pool? You're not sure what you were thinking. You got up on the edge of the ledge, and someone yelled up, don't be afraid. God made us to be afraid to jump from heights, even if there's water down there. So when the angels say, don't be afraid, there's probably a good reason to be afraid. That's why the first words of Christmas and Easter are, be not afraid, because we're afraid. But there's an interesting twist in Matthew's version about fear. Mary and Joseph are told, and I think us by extension, don't be afraid. Even though you have every reason to be, don't be afraid. But Herod should be very afraid. He should be quaking in his sandals. The dynasty that he has established, he and his sons, has now a counter. A dynasty of God and son. And it turns out Herod's throne, it's, it's just part of a set. It's cardboard. You could knock it over. It's coming to an end. That's why I think, I think I like Matthew's. Maybe not quite as much as Luke's, but I like it. Not because it's violent, but because it's honest. Matthew dares to set next to the good news of the birth of Jesus, the death of these children. He dares to set these two things next to each other. Herod should be very afraid. And there have always been Herods pretending to be religious. Well, tell me where he is and I'll come in so that they could get the vote. And there have always been families fleeing persecution. Just picture a caravan. This story gets repeated over and over again. It's, it's, like, it's like coming out of J.C. Penney or wherever, and there's the red kettle and the bell, Merry Christmas, and then you get in the car and turn on the radio and you hear it, war and famine and tsunami. Matthew does that. This next May, several of us are going to Israel, and we'll start in the north where Jesus grew up as a child. We'll eventually make our way to Jerusalem where he was killed and raised from the dead. But we'll also make a day trip to Bethlehem. And to be honest, for years now, we have tried to persuade groups not to go, which sounds horrible. In fact, they all say, what are you kidding? We went all the way across the globe and you're not going to let us go see Bethlehem? I mean, this is where Jesus was born. But what they don't know and they find out is that it's a little disappointing. I mean, if you're picturing a barn and hay and animals, now you go into the inner city and there's a church built there on the site where supposedly it happened and it's dark. 
and dank, and everybody comes away saying, well, that was a letdown. And we say, well, we told you, but the reason we always go is not because everybody says, well, we got to go. It's because to go to Bethlehem, you have to go through a wall, a border wall, and security. Because Bethlehem is in the occupied territories, and to go to Bethlehem is to see suffering. And Matthew says, you've got to go to Bethlehem. You, you've got to see what's going on in the world. So I don't know that I would put it over Luke's, but I like Matthew's pageant, and I think we should put kids in bathrobes because if kids play the parts, it will tap into that, that longing of innocence that we have, that longing for peace. Because peace is not just the name of a candle that we light. It's, it's the longing of our heart. I mean, we crave that. One of my favorite scripts this time of year isn't really a drama, although I think it could be made into one. It's from a children's book. I bought it years ago when our kids were little, in the gift shop at the Nelson, actually. It's called The Peaceable Kingdom, and it's a story about a painting called The Peaceable Kingdom, which Edward Hicks, a Quaker preacher slash artist, painted. And there's lots of inspiration for it, but one piece of it, and we sang about this a few moments ago, is the image in Isaiah where the wolf and the lamb lie down together, where the lion eats straw. It's just an amazing vision of the day when that will happen. Well, in the children's book, it seems that in the painting, the lion and the wolf and the leopard have managed to escape. They've gotten out of the painting, and they've made their way out of the museum and into Brooklyn's Botanical Garden. And of course, people discover this, three beasts on the loose. They call the fire department, they call the police, hoses are aimed at them, pistols are aimed at them, and then and then they realize they're not ferocious at all. They are cowering with fear. And some children, some children say, oh, we, we know them. Come, come, we'll show you. And they lead the animals back and up into the painting. And the lion, speaking for all of them, says, this feels more like it. This, this feels like home. And then he adds this line, we had hoped by now that the world had become a peaceable kingdom. Don't we all? I mean, isn't that what we really want for Christmas? Christmas.